Hey everyone, welcome to Check the Kick podcast. My name is Devin, I am the host of the show. This is brought to you by SureDog. If you are tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have listened to anything I've done before, I appreciate you coming back. In this show, we will be going over fights from the past, what's hot in MMA today, and fights coming up in the future. The show will be broken up into three segments. The first one will be titled Out With The Old, The middle segment will be titled What's Hot, and the final segment will be called In With The New. I hope you guys enjoy the show, and thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. So for the first segment of the show, we have to talk about UFC 289. I would love to go over some of those fights with you guys. Um, Most importantly, Amanda Nunes versus Irina Aldana and Charles Oliveira versus Daniel Dariush. Um, What a performance by Amanda Nunes. She ends up leaving her two belts and her gloves in the octagon and walks away as uh, the double champ. Um, Featherweight is a disputed division, but she is still a double champ because she did earn those belts. And she earned the featherweight belt by knocking out Cyborg, so that's good enough for me. Um, In this fight, Aldana definitely seemed um, fearful of... Amanda and the power that she possesses. It's definitely strange. In the first round, there there was a sequence t- towards the end of the round where Amanda came rushing forward, just kind of crashing the pockets with not much respect for Aldana. And Aldana kind of takes a, a step and cuts an angle and fires a straight right down the pipe. And it clearly staggered Amanda. And it might have been one of the most impactful punches from both fighters in the whole fight. And I was very surprised to see someone land a shot like that, you know, at the championship level fighting for a belt that wasn't able to build off of it, didn't gain any confidence from it. It's kind of a weird performance. Um, Amanda really had her way with her. Uh, tons of tons of chopping leg kicks and then that beautiful front click kick. It wasn't like a John Jones oblique kick, but she was more aiming for the knee and in the in the calf upper calf area but nonetheless that that stabbing kick was great as well from her um her boxing amanda's boxing was on point um irene usually has the most success in the pocket countering counters that have been drawn out she'll pillar keep a high guard get into the pocket you know deflect a couple shots and then um fire something back you know she has her famous left hook what she used to to kind of kill off Ketlin Vieira. But in this fight, Arena just never went for it. Her corner was trying. Um, and that Leon Edwards, Usman 2 moment just never happened. They could not, you know, they could not light the fire from under her ass. Um, in between rounds where she was just getting flattened, she was still, you know, dapping up on Amanda in between rounds, which is really confusing. Like, you know, Another thing I found confusing is she showed that she could kind of take all Amanda's shots. Like, they were impactful. They caused damage. She was clearly bleeding, um, clearly beat up. I'd imagine today she's got two black eyes and, and a swollen, a couple swollen lips and God knows what else. But she did show that she could take those shots. And after you fight two rounds the way you fought, you might as well just go out on your shield. If you don't think you're going to win the fight and get your win bonus, at least try for the performance bonus. Um, 
she also has to know that she's probably based off her age never going to be in another title fight again um and especially based off this performance my hopes aren't high for her personally but either way that that shouldn't take anything away from amanda um amanda looked great everywhere she was they weren't counting these as takedowns but they might as well there were moments between the first couple rounds where she was just snatching up that single leg um and just elevating aldana and aldana wanted nothing to do with it she was extremely panicked everywhere um just throwing aldana to the ground whenever she pleased um definitely very very tactful performance from amanda um and amanda's just a brute in there she's been going on and on and, and kind of brutalizing all of these opponents from the past um i'm not surprised to see her retire but also when you look at the way she fought this fight like the takedown was there in the first two rounds but amanda didn't respect her i think amanda fought this fight wanting a finish in her final fight she stated in the post-fight presser um somebody from some media outlet asked her um did you know you were going to retire at what point did you know she stated that she knew she was going to retire when she signed on the dotted line so you can kind of look at amanda's game plan and see that she probably tried to, wanted to try to get her out of there with striking and then aldana maybe proved to be a little tougher um durability wise than she expected and then she just kind of took the fight to the ground and also had her way um 50 44 and 50 43 times two i believe are what the scorecards were um i think all three judges scored the last round of 10 8 which i agree um quite frankly she just kind of beat the shit out of aldana and aldana's gonna really have to go back and look at this performance and you know maybe the moment was too big for her maybe she just wasn't prepared. There was a an interviewer that asked her, you know, what are you going to be different? What are you going to do different? How are you different than any of her previous opponents? And she said, I'm Mexican, um, which that's great. You want to believe in yourself and your heritage, but like Amanda Nunes is the GOAT. You got to bring more than that to the table. Um, looking, looking at Amanda's illustrious career, this is a good way to go out. Um, Pena was the I believe Pena was the only former um, champion that she never finished. And I mean, Pena is shown to be tough as hell. And if you kind of look at the fights, even though Amanda's winning them, um, I still think she might have been getting towards the end of her career physically as well. Like, I'll, that shot that Aldana hurt her with, I don't know if that would have hurt her three or four years ago. Like she took those shots from Cyborg and was kind of unfazed. And in this in this fight, there were moments where Aldana, when Aldana did go for it, she you know did have effect and impactful shots that caused Amanda to reset, um, reset. But it was just it was never enough. Um, I'm gonna go to SureDog.com and I'm gonna pull up Amanda Nunes' career, and I'm only gonna do this out of respect because I don't want to um, gloss over anything or possibly miss anything. And gosh, her, I'm just scrolling through it. And okay, we'll, we'll start with GDR. She she beat Jermaine Durandamy. That was in 2013. Um, TKO via level. She lost to Kat Singano. She lost that very next fight. But that's all the way back in 2014. Shayna Baszler, Sarah McMahon, Valentina Shevchenko. 
absolutely destroyed Misha Tate, crushed her. We all know what she did to Ronda. Um, she beat Shevchenko in the second fight. However, you scored it, you scored it. It's a win on paper. Um, even having a close fight with Shevchenko shows how good you are. Um, the whole Raquel Pennington fiasco where she was begging to stop the fight, the corner threw her back in there, and she went and got finished. Right after that is when she knocked out Cyborg. And then she head kicked Holly Holm. Um, decisioned Duran Duran to me in the rematch. In that fight, um, GDR had a lot of success with the striking. Um, however, Amanda still did what she had to do to win that fight. Completely outgrappled her. Um, Felicia Spencer, whatever, that was a featherweight defense. Megan Anderson, you know, another one. Her loss to Juliana Pena, she went and got that one back and then beats Renee Aldana and walks away. Um, what a great career. And as far as women goats, however, however you want to call it, um, not only in MMA, but she's also probably the greatest women's combat sports athlete of all time. If not, she's definitely in the top three or top five. Like you got to put her, you know, on the same level as someone like Clarissa Shields or something like that, um, which is absolutely great company to be in. Valentina Shevchenko is is also sitting at that table. Um, but again, thanks to Amanda Nunes, what a great career. Um, there's probably more to talk about with her whole career than this actual fight, so that's kind of why I wanted to lean that way for you guys. Um, and the title's vacant, and we will see what happens with it. I'm kind of curious to see what's, what, what's going on there. Um, moving on to the next fight, uh, Charles Oliveira beats Benel Dariush. And, man, Charles Oliveira is just showing to still be that dude. He is, he is a mofo. He is that guy that he's still holding records and continuing to break records in the prime of his career. You look at other guys that are, you know, cut from that same cloth, breaking those records. Those are dudes at the end of their career. Like Matt Brown, he's 42, I think, 42. Jim Miller, another guy that's getting up there in age, definitely not fighting the guys that Charles Oliveira is fighting and definitely not in the prime of his career. Um, and he just went out there and there there was a moment where he, he you know, it almost looked like he drugged Benil into his guard and he was being a willing guard player. And I was a little bit iffy in that moment. I was like, man, I don't know if this is the best thing for Charles to be doing. Um, I don't know if he's showing the best fight IQ here, but Charles' small lapse of fight IQ makes him more entertaining. Um, and Benil had a lot of success. Benil is a very, very good grappler, high level BJJ practitioner, really good on top. He's very methodical on top. Um, almost like a, a Glover to share a type where he's not going to go crazy to chase his submission. He he will line up ground and pound, which is what he did to Oliveira. He landed some good ground and pound, had some good control time. Um, Charles Oliveira was was looking for sweeps. Um, then he closed the guard in a couple moments, which again, I was a little iffy about, but he, he started attacking off of his back. And then it seemed like he kind of just got up when he wanted to, which was pretty impressive. And I think there was like a minute 40 or, or don't quote me on that, but we'll say just over a minute left in, in the round. And Daniel Cormier says on the broadcast um, something along the lines of there's a minute left. Charles has to do something big here if he wants to win back this round. And Paul Felder um, hilariously goes, that's enough time for Charles. And within seconds after that, 
he lands that beautiful head kick. Um, the head kick was a big chopping, big chopping head kick. Um, and it didn't land flush. It was partially blocked, but also like part, part of the foot looked maybe like wrapped behind the ear a little bit. Um, and Benel is not the most durable dude. And that kind of put him on um, skates right away. Benel's not also very fast, unfortunately for him. He's just not one of the faster guys in that division. And Charles has just got big power these days. His striking has improved so much. He was able to line up a few right hands in that exchange. And then Benel started to skirt outside of the cage. And then he kind of caught him with a, a leaping right hook. That dropped Benel. Benel went shooting for a single leg and kind of died on it, but he was already really hurt. Um, Charles Oliveira was able to reverse reverse position, get on top, land a bunch of ground and pound, and just finish him with ground and pound. Um, and Charles did show in that moment, you know, if he would have hurt, say, Justin Gaethje, he would go for the submission. But he knew against someone like Benil, I don't even want to play that game. Even when I'm on the ground, I'm just going to punch him in, until he's out. Um, it was awesome. Charles Oliveira is just, God, he's such a dog such an OG in the UFC. And I put him up there with guys like Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier who have built a tremendous striking game in their UFC career. Like, and he might be number one. Um, maybe all, all three of those guys, like they're all, you know, sitting at the same table when it comes to striking improvement in the UFC. Um, just incredible performance. I do feel a little bit bad for Benio Dariush. Um, he, Sorry, drinking water on camera. Um, he's he was on like an eight fight win streak, hadn't lost in, in six years or something like that. And for him to put it all out there and just lose the way he did, he's got to go back to the drawing board. And that just may be the story of Benil Darish. I don't know if he should maybe go up a division, and I'm kind of just thinking about that now, but he's this weight cut seems to affect him. His durability seems to kind of be a problem. His speed kind of seems to be a problem. Um, he's got good power, you know, comes from a good camp, has a big left hand. And I think maybe if he had a lesser weight cut and beefed up just a little bit where he could, he could, you know, tune it all in, his durability might go up. And then he's not cut until a buck 55 anymore. He's saving 15 pounds. The jump between lightweight and welterweight is big for guys that are, you know, at that body type, you know, the guys that are six foot, six foot one, it's a big, you know, even I think he's five, nine, but still, you know, guys that are even between like five, nine and six, one, um, cutting an extra 15 pounds is huge. Um, but he's probably going to have to fight someone like Armin Sarukian or maybe like Fiziev. um, someone down there or you know maybe the ufc tries to get him in a fight with like guram kutataladze um as for uh charles Oliveira, dana white said in the post-fight presser right after the event that he wants to book uh islam and charles number two i'd be cool with that but if i'm charles i'm like I would have already called Dana and told him, hey, dude, let's get this fight signed. Call Islam Abu Dhabi. I'll go to his house. Let's do it again. Because if he waits and this season of The Ultimate Fighter ends, Conor McGregor signs a, a contract to fight Michael Chandler, Islam might just say, hey, I'll wait to fight the winner of this or I'll wait for the winner of the BMF 
ordeal. Um, so Charles needs to be campaigning like yesterday. He needs to pick up the phone, call Dana, tell him, let's, let's get these contracts signed. Uh, also over the weekend, um, with this, with this card, there, there was, is a little bit weak. Um, and there was some pretty good fights on this card over the weekend as well. Um, shout out to Dan Ige, big win over Nate Landwehr. Um, his left hook was firing on all cylinders. That was awesome. Um, quite frankly, he killed, he killed it. Um, he looked, he looked great. I, I was making jokes in the sure dog Slack chat that he was like a mini Poaton. Um, even like all the way back on the early prelims, Ursig had a great win over Dvorak. If you haven't caught that fight, you totally should. This guy showed up on eight days notice, um, cut all the way down to a buck 25 and showed up and kind of beat a flyweight staple in, in Dvorak. That was, that was awesome. Um, Jasmine Jazdavisius beat Miranda Maverick. Um, and she was a big underdog. I think she was like plus 250, uh, typical woman's MMA. Uh, poor Chris Curtis, man, got headbutt, eye blown up, couldn't see. They, they stopped that fight. Eamon's a hobby, huge knockout win. All of the Canadians won. It was Mike Malott absolutely crushed, club and subbed Adam Fugit. That was really awesome, too. The guardrails broke. The crowd was treating Mike Malott like he was a beetle. Um, just an all, all around good card fight of the night was Mark Andre Barrio versus Eric Anders. That was a damn good fight. A really good scrap. Um, however you guys can find these fights online. If you haven't seen them, go, go back and find them. You'll, you'll figure out a way if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, wrapping up, wrapping up 289, it was, you know, kind of a light card for a pay-per-view. We're going to be in a, through a slog of MMA fights coming up. Um, so you know, keep your eye out. The UFC does have some pretty good stuff coming up in the future. And, and outside of that, Bellator things as well. Um, also on the weekend, Teofimo Lopez beat Josh Taylor in a super, super impressive and super impressive fashion. It was the Teofimo of old. He was working his angles really well, combination punching really well, um, even really staggered and wobbled Taylor in the fourth round. Um, clean performance. Scorecards read like 113 to 115 on two of the scorecards. That's just like typical boxing stuff where, I mean, if you go back and watch that fight and you were to score it pride style, um, just the overall fight, Teofimo just kind of worked him, man. Um, even his leaping hooks, like an old school Roy Jones Jr. style, just super, super impressive. Um, he did the thing. Now he's a champ at 140 pounds. Um and all week he he's just such a guy that you know has a, such a strange and what seems troubled personal life with his dad trainers ex-wife he's like going through a divorce he was been saying a bunch of crazy stuff how he wanted to like kill a man in a boxing ring or he's not worried about dying in the boxing ring stuff along those lines that always you know guys start talking like that and you, you get iffy but man Shit, he really showed up. He looked great. Go back and watch that fight if you haven't. Um, really, really good fight on the weekend. Stoked to stoked to see Teofimo back in impressive fashion. I mean, he looked like he did against Lomachenko. That quality, just top-tier shit. Great stuff. Starting off the second segment of the show called What's Hot, we're going to discuss some hot topics currently in MMA. I definitely want to start with the recent PFL stuff. Um, 
They've definitely been in the news a lot lately as far as MMA goes and all combat sports. It all started with the Francis Ngannou debacle and how he is going to be a representative for PFL Africa, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then all of the contractual stuff and all of the, the back and forth tweets between John Jones, Dana, and Francis, just the whole pissing match. I don't want to talk about it too much, but that is you know part of the reason why they've been in the news. And then all of a sudden, um, speaking of pissing, all of their fighters are pissing hot. Their light heavyweight division is kind of being crushed. Um, their last season's champ, Rob Wilkinson, just pissed hot. And his opponent, Tiago Santos, pissed hot. Pretty sure Rob Wilkinson even made a tweet about how he defeated an opponent that tested for PEDs. And then he came around and did the same. You look at Rob Wilkinson's uh, career and his recent run, he moved up to 205 and then just kind of went on a pretty violent assault with a bunch of finishes through PFL to win the million bucks. Um, his fight with Amari Akhmedov, he like brutalized him. And one could think based off of the recent surge of success and his performance um, performances to get that million bucks might have been on PEDs the whole time. Um, I personally don't care about PEDs, but if it's a rule, you need to follow them. And that's kind of how I feel about it. When an organization sets a rule and you sign a contract and you agree to follow those rules and you don't, that's a breach of contract. And quite frankly, I mean, are they going to make him give back the million bucks? No, but maybe they, I mean, if they can prove he cheated the whole way through, stole a million dollars <laughs> um kind of crazy stuff and, and a bunch of other a bunch of other other fighters have you know tested hot and this goes also through their previous run where you look at guys like uh dinga pineda from that's currently in the ufc he went on a killer run in the pfl then tested hot for peds so it just seems to be a problem that they're having um Another crazy thing that happened in PFL was their number one seed of the featherweight division, a guy that they were really getting behind, um, got absolutely obliterated in the beginning of the season, right? Um, Pinedo hit him with a, a knee right in the clinch, and it's the first time in over 30 fights he's ever been dropped or hurt, first time he's ever been finished. And the PFL matchmaking and the way that they – put those fights together at such a torrid pace. I personally don't know if the highest level MMA guys can, can do that. I mean, it's almost like they're taking all their toys and bashing them into each other where Brendan Lochnane had a, had a pretty crazy season last year. And now he's just got to get back in there and do it all over again. And the fights are so close together. MMA at the highest level guys that reach 25 plus fights I just don't know. I don't know if those types of guys are, as far as like accrued damage, I don't know if those guys and girls can fight at just so many fights in a row. It's It's got to be really tough on their body physically. I know Brendan Lockney has said in uh, previous interviews that he's been nursing injuries through the season. Um, all fighters have injuries, but I mean, just whipping those fights through at such a torrid pace, like it's just got to do take years off your life and, you know, kind of degrade your performances. 
if you're fighting, you know, every three months over and over again, like you're, you know, your body's just going to get beat up and you're not going to be fighting at a hundred percent, especially like at the champ level. Um, I almost think that the champion should not have to fight in the next season and should just defend his belt against whoever wins the, their, their Grand Prix. I think their Grand Prix, Grand Prix should maybe get them a title shot and, you know, maybe they can award the champions enough, enough money so they don't have to, you know, fight, but once or twice a year, I think that'd be better. Um, and then shout out to Marlon Marias on that past card. He, he lost via knockout and he finally hung it up. Um, so many impressive wins crushed the current UFC champion. Um, but man, what a skid the poor guy went on so many fights in a row lost so many vicious knockouts and, you know, the last of them happened under the PFL banner where they were in pretty close succession. Um, again, I personally don't like to see dudes that lose that way fighting again so quickly. The ways, the way that he was getting knocked out, like there should be way more than six, eight months in between fights like that when you're getting hurt that badly. Um, but Marlon Moraes, shout out to him. Um, he hung it up. He retired stated he seemed to have all his wherewithal which is great he seemed mentally all there he said i've got a beautiful wife at home and i'm kind of done he basically said he was happy to um hang him up under the organization that he started all in pfl formerly known as world series of fighting he was their inaugural bantamweight champion um and marlon marais we should you look back at his record he's got so many good wins um even a win over jose aldo Incredible fight with Henry Cejudo for the vacant bantamweight belt when Henry beat him. Um, was kind of schooling Henry until Henry came back and, and took it out of the fire and, and came back for a win. But And that might have been like the breaking point of Marlon. But either way, um, great career. Typically, we won't talk about retirements on this show, but typically we don't have two MMA notables retire off a weekend. Um, but yeah, still... still um, Big shout out to all those guys um, that are retiring. Cool stuff. Uh, the next topic I want to move on to is uh, just the state of women's MMA in the UFC and kind of what's been going on, what Juliana Pena has been doing in the media uh, the past day and a half or so after the uh, retirement of Amanda Nunes and where I kind of think the UFC should go with the bantamweight division and featherweight division. Um if you're a woman's featherweight in the UFC, you're probably worried about your job right now, and I wouldn't blame you. Um, I don't know if the UFC should keep all of them around. Is Zara Farron really, like, the highest quality of MMA that they can put on for the public? Automatically, the UFC should probably get rid of, rid of women's featherweight. And there are plenty of other organizations that will pay them similar amounts to fight. Um Currently, there is a tournament Grand Prix style season happening in PFL for women's featherweight. And then there is also um, Bellator that's got that division open as well. They can go to Invicta. There's tons of stuff for them to do. Um, and a lot of those girls, no offense, are regional level fighters. Um, none of them are extremely talented where... You know, the UFC should really, really hang on to them, in my opinion. Um, and then I think the UFC could take that money and reallocate it to other things. 
there are just other divisions that are exciting divisions that, you know, maybe could use some more contenders. Um, just, you know, throw some feel on the fire. Like look at middleweight, middleweight could use more dudes. Plenty of, uh, plenty of guys coming up surging through there. You got guys like, uh, Ikram Alaskarov, Hamza Chmaev lingering around, Bo Nickel coming up. Um, but still, I think divisions like middleweight could use could use a couple more fighters. Heavyweight could use some people. Every division could use more fighters, quite frankly. Um, men's flyweight, I'd love to see them sign some more men's flyweights. That'd be great. Um, so maybe they can, you know, reallocate those funds if they, you know, dismantle the division. Go to UFC.com right now. I haven't checked as of today, but um, before Amanda Nunes retired, there was uh, Amanda Nunes and no other fighters in the division ranked at all. And now, guys, I think we just got to go and see. Let's take a look. UFC. And I'm going to go. I'm not going to the sure dog rankings. I'm going to go to the UFC rankings because it's their division. Okay. Let's see. They currently have Amanda, Amanda still ranked the number one women's pound for pound. And there is still featherweight. However... If you hit the drop down, you can't see it. No one's there. Um, so you can't be the king if you don't have a kingdom, or you can't be the queen if you don't have a kingdom. And if there's no queen and no kingdom, then they probably got to get rid of that division. Um, bantamweight's kind of a woman's bantamweight's kind of a slog too. If they're going to keep that division around, um, maybe they can reallocate the monies from 145 to 135. Um, Juliana Pena has definitely had a lot to say, a lot of it pretty insufferable, um, saying things along the lines of how she believes she's the greatest woman's fighter ever, and she's not a fighter. She's a warrior, and Amanda's running from her. Um, does Pena have a leg to stand on? She actually does, um, because she finished Amanda um, and kind of made Amanda quit, and... Amanda went back and decisively beat her in a five-round fight. However, one of them has a finish over the other, and that's pretty big. No one in a while has no one in a while had finished Nunes like that. Um, so that, and she's been having a lot to say. She's been saying things like, uh, "I'm fighting for the bell." She was on Ariel's show, um, holding up really funny pictures quite frankly they reminded of like an old picture sorry an old map quest printout my dad would go and, and print in black and white but she was on ariel's show showing pictures of amanda all lumped up and they were screenshots that were uncropped it was just so bad um but i've never really heard someone call for a fight but not call for a fighter to face so she's not saying put me in against Jermaine Durandamy or put me in against Raquel Pennington uh, for the vacant belt. She's just kind of saying, you know, she's more of just talking shit to Amanda. Um, and I get it. It's a good way to get your name out there. I totally understand what she's doing. Totally, totally get it. But if you're going to talk all that shit, like call someone out, have a fight ready have someone right off the top i think 
her and Raquel Pennington is a match that makes sense, but I don't think it's a very fun fight. Um, if you look at Juliana Pena, like win, lose, or draw, at least her fights are kind of interesting to watch and they're kind of entertaining. Like her first fight with Amanda was very entertaining. Was it the highest level of MMA? No, but was it entertaining? Yes. Even her second fight with Amanda, super entertaining. When um, Valentina triangled her, super entertaining. Um, when GDR gdr um choked her out um that was also entertaining so she has entertaining fights um i think that they should put her against shevchenko in a rematch i would personally rather see shevchenko fight for that belt over pennington um it's the ufc it's women's bantamweight it's a really shallow division it's a division that doesn't have a ton of fights and it's a kind of boring division. Um, and I think the UFC could, you know, get the most juice out of just shooting Shevchenko into that fight. I, if, and if I were Shevchenko, I mean, she kind of pretty easily beat Pena and I would say that she'd probably beat Pena again. And I think Pena is probably an easier fight than Grosso, especially after, you know, what we saw. Was Valentina having tons of success and probably winning the Grasso fight? Yes. Um, but Juliana doesn't have the same power or the same boxing as Grasso. And maybe equally slick on the ground. That's kind of what Pena has been known for. Um, having a semi-slick, semi-good grappling wrestling game. But um, UFC will probably try to throw Holly Holm in there. They'll probably do like Holly Holm versus Pena and even though Raquel showed up as a short notice replacement, I don't, I'll be really surprised to see if the UFC puts Raquel Pennington in the title fight. Quite frankly, I just don't think her fight style is what everybody wants to watch. And I don't, the matchmakers aren't dumb. Like they know, they know what's going to make a good fight and what you deserve sometimes doesn't always matter for the UFC. Um, so I hope that's what they do. Erin Blanchfield also threw her name in that. She said, shit, I'll move up and I'll fight Juliana Pena for the belt. I'd be okay with that. Um, that is extremely undeserving, though, and I don't think that would happen. But, I, I mean, still more interesting than Raquel Pennington or Holly Holm for me, just because, gosh, you know, just beating a dead horse, especially with Holly Holm, unfortunately. All right, guys, and on to the final segment of the show. If you made it this far, thank you so much. Third segment of the show is called In With The New. In this segment, I will go over fights on the upcoming weekend, maybe a couple betting lines and stuff I think you should look out for that I think are going to be fun fights. Um, main event, kicking it off, main event from this coming weekend, we got Marvin Vittori versus Jared Cannonier. Um Pull these odds yesterday. They were at a pick them yesterday. Um, and they're probably hovering around somewhere like that right now. Um, matchup where both guys are definitely staples of the division. Um, everybody knows who they Anyone that watches MMA knows who Marvin Vittori and Jared Kennedy are. Um, both of them have challenged for the title. Vittori has fought the current champion twice, one in a non-title bout. Their first fight, which is much closer than their second fight. <clears throat> Second fight, um, 
Israel kind of tooled on him, but at the same time never got off tons of effective offense. And then Jared Cannonier and his fight with Israel um, had a semi-close fight that Israel clearly won, but, you know, Jared got a couple rounds off him in there. Um, and they're both also coming off wins, yes. Jared Cannonier coming off of a highly contested win. Go to MMA decision, see where it's at. I bet you it's split like 50-50 with a Sean Strickland. I personally scored that fight for Sean Strickland. And then Marvin Vittori is coming off of a fight kind of similar to this one against Roman Dolize, where I scored the fight for Marvin Vittori. But, you know, MMA decisions, I bet it's split 50-50, 60-40, where, you know, half of us thought Dolize won, half of us thought Marvin Vittori won. Both guys coming off impressive wins, beating other guys that are trying to come up and contend for that title and, and earn their title spot. Marvin Vittori beating Delize and Jared Cannonier beating Sean Strickland. Both guys definitely have things that they can do to have success over each other. I think keys to victory for someone like Jared Cannonier would be to really, really try to chop the leg. He's got big power with his kicks, big leg kicks. He stopped Anderson Silva with leg kicks, and it was just due to pain. Um, Jared Cannonier is a huge dude. Looks like he's chiseled from stone, come all the way down from heavyweight with, with a pit stop at 205 as well. Um, he's huge for the division, long arms, big, big, big power. Um, big power with the boxing as well, big power with his kicks. Everything he does is impactful and intentional. Um a little bit iffy on the durability for me. <clears throat> um, he kind of gets buzzed or clipped in just about every fight, especially down at middleweight. And, you know, maybe it's the weight cut. I don't know. Um, he did also look good against Derek Brunson. He showed he turned a new leaf to where, you know, he was losing that fight until he was able to turn things around and, and hurt him with ground and pound. Um, and, you know, maybe it was Brunson blowing it. But also, maybe Cannoneer has made those rightful improvements. And he uh, has had a long, like kind of a long road, just like Marvin Vittori, to get into the spot where he is in main events, fighting for titles. He's 39 years old. He started MMA. Um, he started in Alaska. Um, he started MMA kind of late, later in life, after, you know, service in the military. And Marvin has been doing this forever. Marvin's been doing this since he was a kid. Uh, back to Jared's game and, and what I think he's good at. I think to have success over someone like Marvin Vittori, who's clearly like one of the most durable dudes in MMA, point blank, period, all divisions, everything, all organizations, Marvin Vittori's durable as just as shit. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean you still can't land shots on him. He's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the best defense. However, in his last fight against Roman Delize, he showed to have a really good back foot boxing game. I want to come back to that. But um, I think Jared needs to land a lot of leg kicks, really, really try to chop the legs up, um, really, really try to, to hinder his movement. Uh, Whitaker had a little bit of success doing that against Vittori. And that was one fight where Vittori could never get anything going. Um, Jared Cannonier might have had more success against Whitaker than Vittori did. Both of them cleanly lost that fight. Uh, also, if, if Jared Cannonier can really get on the front foot and not respect Vittori's power, I think he can land power shots on Vittori. Um, will he buzz him? Will he hurt him? I mean, Jared does crack, but 
I, I'd be surprised if he did hurt Jared. Or sorry, if he did hurt Vittori. And for Vittori, I think the way he wins this game is to get on the front foot. I think the winner of this fight is really going to be impacted by who gets on the front foot first. If Vittori gets on the back foot and allows someone that throws as many kicks and has as much power with his hands, he's going to give Jared too many opportunities. I think Roman Delize and Jared Kennedy are similar dudes body type-wise. I actually think Delize is bigger. Um, they both have big power. However, Delize doesn't have the same kicking game, and I don't think his striking game with his hands is just as tight and nip-tuck as Cannoneer. Um, can Vittori take the back foot in moments and counterpunch and have success? Yes, but he would need to reinitiate after he has that success taking the back foot. You know, he can't do what he did against Delize and just skirt the outside and have his back foot touching the cage the whole time and, and counterpunch roll of shots. That's great. Um, and that's a big improvement that he showed, but I don't think he can do that to Cannoneer. <clears throat> Going back to Vittori, um, again, get on the front foot. I think what he needs to do is just really hang tough and make exchanges in the pocket go longer than Jared wants to. Jared wants to land a couple power shots and get out of there. And quite frankly, most dudes he lands power shots on get really hurt. Look what he did to Jack Hermanson. Um, Marvin Vittori dropped and hurt Hermanson, and then Hermanson came back, and they went to war. Jared got him out of there right away, in, immediately. The shot he landed on him crushed him. Um, but, again, with Jared's durability, him being 39 years old, I definitely think Vittori has the better gas tank. I think Vittori can get on the front foot. Um, I look a lot back at Paulo Costa the fight he had with Paulo Costa, where Costa came in way overweight. They fought up at 205. Vittori looked like a 185er that just didn't cut weight, and Paulo Costa looked giant. And Costa hit him with so many body shots, so many shots to the head, and Vittori was just unfazed. Um, the kicking game is a little different. Costa relies a lot more on body kicks. <clears throat> excuse me. A lot more on body kicks. Where Jared's more of a leg kick guy, but I think he still needs to take that same like forward pressure, take the kick away, and just make exchanges in the pocket go longer. Vittori doesn't have tons of power. However, a 39-year-old guy, you force him to exchange over and over again. You put him on the back foot. He did hurt Hermanson. He has hurt other people in fights, too. He could definitely buzz Cannoneer. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's just what he's going to do here. One thing that worries me about it, if, if you, you know, worries me if I'm picking Vittori or worries, you know, would worry a Vittori fan is what, Cannoneer showed to do against Izzy against the cage. Um, not many dudes have been able to get underhooks and clinch Israel and push him up against the cage. Usually once Izzy, his back touches that cage, he's out of there. Um, not many dudes at middleweight have been able to just push him against the cage and hold him there physically. Jared is definitely physically strong. But I think Vittori has enough schooled game. He, he's, he's such a nuts and bolts guy. His game is put together so well. Where I think he can... You know, <clears throat> go in there and and just fight a well-schooled game and really put the pressure on Jared Cannonier. I want to see Vittori fight someone like, fight in a way like Fluffy Hernandez or, or fight in a way like Marc-Andre Burial, where they're just on the pressure. He's going to get on him and stay on him. And I think if he takes that, you know, takes a game plan like that and really pushes it on Cannonier, I think he'll have success. Um, I'm going to pick Vittori in this fight as well. But it's a, like a dead even fight, so you just don't know. You just don't know in a fight like this. Either one of these guys 
you know, one little adjustment or one little mistake and, and it's, you know, it's a loss for either one of them. Great fight though. Um, absolutely, absolutely great. I don't know what it means for them. Um, <clears throat> if I'm picking Vittori to win the fight, I don't think he fights for a title. I think Israel Adesanya is probably the biggest Drikas Duplessis fan right now. He's probably praying that he beats Whitaker. But if someone like Ikram Alaskarov and actually fights Paulo Costa, like if Paulo Costa actually fights and Ikram Alaskarov beats Paulo Costa, the UFC is trying to make that fight happen, like way before Vittori gets a, a third fight with Izzy. Um, if Cannoneer wins, maybe he can get a rematch. He might be able to weasel his way into it. But again, I still think Izzy is really looking at that Whitaker Duplessis fight. And if Whitaker wins, he's probably going to try to look for something else. Um, and if Duplessis wins, we already know Izzy's going to be all over that. He wants that fight. And Izzy's not stupid. You know, you, you fight the easiest fight for the most amount of money. <clears throat> Plain and simple. Um, there's a reason why he's also lately been saying that he doesn't see himself fighting Alex Pajara again. I don't blame him. I wouldn't fight Alex Pajara again. He's scary as hell. Um, moving on to another fight that I would like to talk about is uh, Armin Sarukian versus Joaquin Silva. And, man, poor Armin just can't get a fight against anyone that matters. Um, Joaquin Silva, decent fighter, but Armin Sarukian is ranked number eight in the division per UFC rankings. And Joaquin Silva is probably not in the top 25 of the world rankings, probably not in the top 30. Um, he's got two knockout wins, but sandwiched in between that in his last four fights are two knockout losses. Um, knockout of Jared Gordon, that was back in 2018. And then he came back in his last fight out and knocked out Jesse Ronson. But between that, he got knocked out by Nasrat Hakpras. Okay, you know, that's fine. Nothing wrong with uh, nothing wrong with losing a fight to Nasrat Hakpras. He's he's a good he's a good fighter. He's he's got good power. Everyone knows that about him um, at, at this point. But <clears throat> losing to um, Ricky Glenn, like that's not a good look, especially in the first round, just getting murdered like that. Um, and Joaquin Silva's Neto BJJ, the dude hasn't won a, a fight via submission since 2014, and that was under the RDC MMA Retro de Campeones 1, February 14th, 2014. Has not won a fight by submission since. Kind of like Vitor screaming jiu-jitsu after he wins via vicious knockout. Um, and Joaquin Silva is huge. Poor Armin Sarukian keeps getting matched with these giant dudes. Um, Joel Alvarez, guys like that. Um, Joaquin Silva's got big power. He's dangerous on the feet, but he's only dangerous for like six minutes. And then he's tired. Um, Nasrat Hakbrost is a guy that, I mean, if, if Nasrat is clubbing and, and getting you out of there, I just don't see why Armin Sarukian can't do the same. Even if Armin didn't rely on his best skill set, which is his grappling, his striking is really, really good, really, really fast. He's great in the pocket, super, you know, super defensively sound, super quick. He's young too, and he's been making huge improvements in between fights. Um, 
Like, look what he did to Giagos. I could see him totally doing something like that. I could also totally see him doing something like what he did to Joel Alvarez. And that's kind of what I think is going to happen. Do I think he can just go out there and outstrike Joaquin Silva? Yes. Um, but why? Why take the risk? Take your money, take your win bonus, maybe get a performance bonus. I think <clears throat> he'll probably try to strike with him for the first two and a half minutes of the first round. Take him, take him down, make him tired. Second round starts, gets a takedown within the first minute, takes him down and just elbows his head off. Um, probably looked like he attacked him with a steak knife. Probably bloody. Look at Joel Alvarez's face after that. And the second he, the second Joel Alvarez started bleeding, and Armin really saw that he opened him up, he just went to town. Armin, he's such a good controlling grappler, but he's also such a good defensive grappler. He's such a good scrambler. He's got submissions. He can just really do everything. He's got such a good game. His only downfall is that he's just not a big dude for the division, but he's in his mid twenties. I think he's twenty six, and he's. You know, he's built similar to Alexander Volkanovsky. And, you know, talking about Alexander, they both have a former opponent in Islam Mahashev. And those two dudes are the only dudes that have any success as of late against Islam. Um, and Armin debuted on short notice against Islam and gave him his hardest fight besides his knockout loss until he ran into Volkanovsky. Um and arguably, if you look at scorecards and you score a fight, like probably a cleaner win over Volk than Armin, some may say. Um, betting odds in this fight, Armin Shrukin is he's like minus 1100, 11 to 1 favorite. Um, Joaquin Silva, you can get him back at like plus 750. There's no value in it, you know, maybe top off your parlay, but there's not a ton of value in something like that. But man, Anytime Armin Surukian fights, you have to tune in to watch. He's one of my favorite fighters on the roster. He's incredible. He's so well put together. Everything he does is great. He has the speed of Rafael Fiziev. He has the scrambling of like a flyweight. His scrambling reminds me of like Brandon Moreno, that level, high, high level. You know, great grappling. Not on Islam's level, but, you know, might be number two. Yes, he had close fights with Gamrot, stuff like that. But, man, he's young. He's improving. He's an absolute freaking killer. Um, definitely got to keep an eye out on that fight. Um, there's a, there's a couple other good fights on that card. Um, we'll go take a look at it real quick. Um, Armin Petrosian, Christian Leroy Duncan. That's probably a banger. You should go watch that one. Totally. You guys got to, got to tune into that. Um, Manuel Torres versus Nicholas Mata. That should be just a two dudes slugging it out in the pocket. Two huge dudes. Um, Modestus Pekowskis is back. Zagazuma Gulov is trying to finally get a win in the UFC. Um, Jimmy Flick's trying to get a win after retirement. Um, there are one, two, two men's flyweight fights in a row, a men's bantamweight fight, and then another men's flyweight fight. This card should be pretty good. A lot of guys that might not be too popular, too famous, but um, there's, there's so many bantamweights. I think that the highest weight class on this is, is middleweight, and that's that Christian Leroy Duncan versus Armin Petrosian fight. That fight should actually be good. Um I think it's a pretty good all-around card, especially coming off of like a kind of lower level pay-per-view. Um, and cards like this are the ones that always um, always show out. Uh, last thing I want to touch on is Bellator. Bellator's got a big weekend coming up on Friday night. Um, main event, Vadim Nemkov versus Yoel Romero. That's going to be big. Uh, View-wise, this might outdo the UFC. 
Vadim Nemkov, um, protege of Fedor Emelianenko. Everyone knows who Yoel Romero is. Match, this fight should be pretty interesting. Um, I didn't think too highly of Vadim Nemkov. I know he's great, but I, that first Corey Anderson fight, I was like, man, Corey Anderson kind of exposes, dude. But second fight, he just went out there and just outclassed Corey Anderson everywhere on the feet and the grappling. No deficiencies there. Vadim Nemkov has a very well put together game. Um, and Yo Romero's dude is like 43 years old. He's a freak of nature. He's moved up to 205. The only time he's ever pissed hot was when he had a tainted supplement and then he won a lawsuit over it. If you look at that guy and you're like, you want to talk about PFL and steroids and all that crap, like Yo Romero's a candidate for that. I don't know what he's made of. You know, you hear all the stories about the doctors and Joe Rogan, blah, blah, blah. But Yoel is still an explosive athlete, huge power. He's going to be the underdog coming into this. Um, you know what? Let me grab the odds for you guys real quick. Okay, yeah. No, Nemkov is a big favorite. He's minus, th minus 330. Romero's plus 270. I don't – I mean, Romero is probably an underdog against every champion around his weight class. So for whatever organization, just based off his age and just his, like, lapses of fight IQ – but the dude is such an explosive athlete, and when he wins fights, it's incredible. Go look at his fights with Robert Whitaker. He lost both those fights, but just crazy fights. The way he freaking crushed Luke Rockhold, absolutely killed him. His fight with Paulo Costa, the jump knee he landed on Chris Weidman, literally looked like he hit him in the head with a hatchet. Um, the guy is just capable of so much just pure athleticism pure athleticism. He can scramble his ass off. He, he can kind of do almost everything. There was a fight he had recently where, he, you know, against Phil Davis it was scheduled for three rounds and the third round ends. And he's like, what? I thought there was two more rounds. And it's just like, yo, well, bro, come on, man. Um, but you got to tune into that one. That's going to be, um, that's going to be a banger. Yo, well, you all's got to know where he's at at this point. Bellator's backed up the Brinks truck for him. They put so much promotion behind behind him. Bellator wants you all to win this fight, it seems. Go to the Bellator's Instagram page, and I bet you within the last hour or two, there's a you know a post from Yoel Romero. And I even saw they did a shoot with Yoel, and he was holding a Bellator belt and like biting it like a dog. Um, definitely go tune into that one. Another fight you, that you guys got to watch this weekend on Friday night is uh, Sergio Pettis against Pitbull. Pitbull moving down to 135. To challenge Sergio Pettis. Um, Pitbull's a dude that sparked Michael Chandler for the 155 pound belt and lost against AJ McKee and came back and won his belt back. Um, Pitbull's probably the best fighter outside of the UFC, and he's probably always been the best fight, fighter out of the UFC outside of um, Usman or Magomedov. <laughs> Going down to 135 at this stage of his career is a big red flag for me. Um, but if you look at Sergio Pettis, he really struggled with a guy that's a flyweight now in Horiguchi and has kind of always been a flyweight in Horiguchi. Um, Sergio Pettis is an MMA OG, um, can scramble his ass off. He can strike. That spinning back fist was timed so beautiful the way he just flatlined Horiguchi to win the belt. But he's been out for a while. Pitbull's had fights in between, um, multiple fights in between the time that Pettis has been out. Um, you'd assume coming from a camp that he like he comes from, he trains with Henry Cejudo and then you know, he has his Pitbull brothers, Jim. You'd assume that he has had probably several test cuts to 135, but I'm curious to see how his um, durability holds up. Um, 
I'd almost rather see him in a fight with someone like Patchy Mix, who's like a big 35er and not like Sergio, who's come up from flyweight. And he's probably punching air, you know, because Bellator has announced a flyweight division now where he's like, shit, man, I could, that could have been me. I beat your guy that you're now putting down to flyweight. I beat that guy. That's how I got my belt. Um, either way, that's a fight you got to look out for. If Pitbull is able to capture a third belt in a third division, he'd be the first person in the history of MMA that I can think of to do something like that in one of the top organizations. Is it at the UFC level? No. But doing something like that is going to open the door for people at the UFC level, and it's going to make those guys want to do that. So just Pitbull walking in there and fighting at 135, he is really setting the bar. Um, something that maybe Frankie Edgar could have looked at doing a while back. Um, but still, an incredible feat. And if he incredible feat just to fight at 135 after being a champion in two divisions um, and such a staple of Bellator. And if he does claim the, the belt, we got to talk about him in, you know, we got to start talking about him. Um, Anyway, that's the end of the show, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, my name is Devin. Again, this is Check the Kick. You can find it on Sherdog. Find it everywhere else. Find it on YouTube. Please like it. Please comment if there's something that you suggest or something that you want to hear. If you have a question about anything, I'll respond. Um, the other guys that run it will typically respond too. Um, until then, thank you so much. You can find me on social media right there. Dev Goes Fishing. Hope you guys have a wonderful day and enjoy the fights.